HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska Seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, April 18th, 2018. This is the 174th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is an award-winning chef and restaurateur from Copenhagen, Denmark, and I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to embrace spontaneity. Sure, it's good to have a plan, but it's also good to live life in the moment. Keep your eyes and ears open and seize opportunities when they present themselves. You never know what life has in store for you, so be willing to adapt to new situations. Being spontaneous can lead to beautiful and serendipitous things, believe me. That's my tip today. Now, last week I did announce today's guest was going to be Drew Nieporent. Uh, He had to reschedule, so we will have him on soon. Uh, But serendipitously, I have a new fabulous guest who I ran into last week, and he's from Denmark. Uh, They do say things happen for a reason, so I'm thrilled today to have on my show, Bo Beck. He is a chef and owner of Geist Restaurant in Copenhagen, Denmark, which I dined at in the fall and I did cover as my solo dining experience on episode 161. Well known in his home country as a fearsome TV host of Denmark's Answer to Kitchen Nightmares, Bo is a trailblazer of the Copenhagen food scene, offering his own take on new Nordic cuisine. 
He first made his name in Denmark's food-obsessed capital at restaurant Postion. We'll see if I'm saying that right. Uh, where he won a Michelin star before opening Geist in 2011. He recently released a new book, What Does Memory Taste Like? So welcome, Bo. Thank you. So first question, did I say that restaurant name right? How do you pronounce it? You said it perfectly. <laughs> it's called Paustian. Paustian. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, before we get to that restaurant opening, let's go back a bit with your background. Did you want to be a chef? How did you get into cooking? I was a, a late bloomer, I think. I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, think about cooking before I was the age of 24. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And then it took off like a rocket after there because I thought it was in a hurry and everyone kept saying to me, why do you want to take a education and become a, a, a chef? You must be crazy. Like you're the same age as a head chef. And I thought I have to kick the ball down the mountain. And I just kept doing that. So what was it and that drew you into the industry at 24? Um, not to correct you, I, I, I like the word profession much more than industry. Okay. Um, but that's me. <laughs> no, that's, that's uh, fair. Um, I think what drew me is the, the directness and the impulseness and the... This is what we do right now. And two seconds later, it will be presented in front of the guest. And that I love. The, the 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 quickness of it, like it, I came from General Motors, where I was an office clerk, believe it or not, and um, the work we would do, you would see a result within a year, mm. and that so you like the, the instant totally, totally, and and I love the thing about a person uh, approaching you with passion, and 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 this life and death atmosphere. Uh, of uh, this really means something to me. Can can you understand this bow? Like <laughs> that, I loved, and and right. it, 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 I fell in love with it. So and I know it sounds so corny to say you fell in love, but I think um, I didn't before f food. I I th I think I was a ghost in a way because I went to to work because I needed money so I could have fun with my friends. I didn't know you could go to work and 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 have fun at work. Right. So where did you first work as as a chef? I uh, I started at a very uh, well-known Danish fish restaurant called Kohl's Fish Restaurant, and then it took off from there. I I went to London and worked for a year, and Paris for a year, and Sweden, and fast forward to it today. You're born and raised in in Denmark. Yes. Okay. So then, what when, what drew you back there, or after you had an, enough experience, you sort of were ready to open your own place? I think um, the life of a chef, uh, it, like, um, unpacks itself super fast, because first you have to. You have to be a student. First, you have to submit to uh, a coach, uh, a head chef, uh, a mentor, someone that will teach you the craft in all its aspects. 
and there you probably think it goes too slow because you are down the <laughs> the food chain. But uh, very fastly, all of a sudden, you 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 become a chef and you become a sous chef, or or then you all of a sudden you're head chef, and all of a sudden you're concerned about the environment of the restaurant. And then it's sort of like a letter from upstairs to you. Now maybe it's the correct time to to start looking for your own place so you can forget everything you learned and then develop your own voice. So you, that time came. Or wh- who were some of your mentors? I worked with... Um, yeah, but you won't know any of them. Wow, try me. <laughs> so the first one was called Frank Lenz. Then I went to London to work for the Michel Roux at the Gavroche. After that, Marco Pierre White ah, in 95. See? I know who that um, is. Then I came back home to Copenhagen for six months. And then I went to Paris to work at uh, Alain Sanders in, uh, at Luca Caton. And then after that, Alain Passat at L'Arpèche. I know that name too. And then I went back home again. Uh, I was then uh, a, a, a chef. And then I went to to work at a place called Kong Hens. After that, I went to Fyn in a place called Marie-Louise, uh, where there was a, a, a chef I admire a lot, a French chef called Michel Michaud. And then I moved on to to Sweden to work at a, a little small university city called Lund, at a place called Petri Pompa, uh, with Thomas Darin, which changed my world because it was almost like a vegetarian restaurant. Um, and then I became a head chef in 2000 for Jan Hodika, uh, a renowned and really talented uh, chef that had a seasoned restaurant up north uh, in Denmark, in Oldskov, and like 45, 50 minutes from, from Copenhagen. And um, he was open six months a year. And then you would travel uh, for two to three months, sort of when the season opened, rather than just putting salt on it, we would then, the first year we'd lived in Istanbul, the second year we went to Rio, the third year we went to New Delhi and the last wow. year I was there, the four years, well, I went to Madrid. And then I realized it was time for me to figure out what to do. So I took a year off just to travel. And then I got offered, Pauschen, was a, which was a furniture store and still is, um, designed by Jan Utzon, a famous uh, Danish architect. My opinion, one of the best in the world. Um, and I was there for eight years and that was the fine dining scene. And then I got a little bit tired of it because I saw that everything you're creating is you're trying to create an, uh, an environment for the guests where they can relax. But, uh, I saw them almost like being pushed away a little bit because it, it was not a normal environment. It was quiet. There was tablecloth, silverware and stuff like that. So I, I thought, you know, when you choose a restaurant, I, I believe you choose out of either a masculine or a feminine approach. Um, and where the feminine approach maybe be, uh, let's go there because it's so cozy. Let's go there because it's a beautiful view. 
the masculine and the masculine doesn't need to be a man neither to the feminine and the masculine uh, approach is more like let's go there because they have the best wine list let's go there because they do the best vegetables and i wanted sort of you, you couldn't find a restaurant that sort of embodied both so i wanted to try and create a restaurant where you could have both those two emotions or feelings uh, and uh, therefore i created geist which i've been to yes you have did you enjoy it I had a fabulous time. I guess the only disappointment was that you weren't there when I was there, but say la vie. Um, no, I had a, a wonderful experience. So, um, Chefs have to have life as well. Yes. No, no, you do. You do. And your your team took wonderful care of me. And I mean, the design as a as someone who was, who was visiting Copenhagen by myself yeah. and uh, I was dining by myself. To, to walk into, I mean, there's a there's it's a spacious restaurant. There's there's different seating areas, but you have a very large uh, chef's counter that go around the kitchen, Correct. which is is very welcoming to to me as a solo diner. When I I feel I see that, and and there were there were pairs dining there too, but I like that seating style. Yeah. So thank you, thank um, you. It it was uh. uh We'll talk. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the concept behind Geist and everything. We're, let's take a little break and uh, we're going to come back and talk with Bo. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Food and travel, they go hand in hand. And chances are, if you're a fan of Heritage Radio Network, you love them both. Between April 10th and 24th, we have six incredible food and travel experiences up for auction at charitybuzz.com. Go on an underground food tour of New Orleans with a rocket scientist. Get your hands on VIP passes to Feast Portland or enjoy a ranch to table experience in wine country. Four of the experiences include hotel stays at some of the most iconic properties across the country, including the newly reopened Hotel Claremont in Atlanta. Now's your chance to win the ultimate bourbon and beyond weekend in Lexington or take in a Latin food tour of New York's outer boroughs. You'll eat, drink, explore, and relax, all while supporting Heritage Radio Network. Help us keep the lights on and the mics hot. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash auction and bid now. Welcome back to Own the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Bo Beck. He's the chef and owner of Geist Restaurant in Copenhagen, Denmark. So... How do you define the, the cuisine at Geist and how often are you changing the menu and who's your clientele? Is it tourists like me or is it locals or a mix? I remember when I moved to New York uh, three years ago. I lived here for a year and a half. And um, at the, the passport counter, after getting like 20 stamps, they started like asking serious amount of questions, sort of like, who are you? Why are you here? And uh, they would always ask, what kind of food do you do? And I would get an elaborate uh, explanation. <laughs> and then one guy, one guy, he looked at me and he said, you know what? Next time someone asks you, what kind of food do you do? Just say you do good food. Okay. I would say it's chef-driven. Uh, it's a, a, a personal style. Um, I love what appears to look simple, 
uh, on the surface, but have a deeper meaning. But uh, at the end of the day, I think we should uh, pair food with a few flavors, put them on a pedestal and treat them like they're on a pedestal, like praise them. Uh, so all we got to do is find the, the best possible product and then cook it as we want it. That's it. Mother Nature has done the rest. How do you feel about signature dishes? Do you, do you feel you're known for having them? Do you <clears throat> not? And if you are, do you, do you not want to be, you know? But it, it's uh, out of a chef's hands. It's out of a restaurant's hands. Because a signature dish is something your, your guest decides this is your signature dish. You can force feed them mm -hmm. and keep pounding them and, and, and keep it on the menu. But the ones that be becomes uh, famous, even though I hate the word famous, yeah. uh, those are the ones that taste extremely delicious and, and is at the right time and place uh, and suits the restaurant and has this picture of who this and what this should be. Right. Does it make sense? Yes. Well, I mean, one of the dishes that I believe is a signature dish is your turbo with fennel ravioli on Gruyere. Yeah. And I had that. And yeah. it was delicious. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I, that makes so me that, happy. No, it was delicious. And I actually told you this the other, the other night, how uh, the dessert that I had, the wasabi. yeah. Salted wasabi, cream toffee. That yeah. was sensational and so unique. I had never had a dessert with wasabi and, and the flavors and the presentation, too. Uh, so um, I don't know. Well, getting back to the, the turbo, I think that is something I've seen and, and know it's been listed as a signature dish. So that you came about by just lots of people ordering it, liking it, and... No, but um, I, I found that with my cooking, I have plus minus five pillars of how I approach food. One could be rage in okay. the sense that I mm -hmm. would be angry at something. That's an ongoing battle for years and decades where there's something like, for me, it's endives. I don't, uh, or chicory, I think you call them. I, I, I don't get it. But then I have an ongoing battle because I do want to get it. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be uh, travel where someone, uh, when I arrive, for example, to America or the, wherever I go, someone picks your hand and takes you and shows you like maple syrup in Canada, for example. I never really got it before. Uh, besides the whole pancake thing and that. But after being there and people were sh uh, showed me and introduced me to it, all of a sudden, like, wow. And, and then there's, like, on and on and on. The turpet was a challenge, eventually. It, it was a guy that had uh, a journalist called Andrea Petrini that had a mushroom soup that challenged me to give my bid on an onion soup. And therefore, I started working with, uh, because he was Italian, so I thought it would be fun to do raviolis out of cheese instead of uh, dough, pasta dough. So I would do a thin slice of cheese. Then I would do soft 
uh, fennel, like soft onions, and put that inside and then top it with another thin slice of cheese. And then when you melt it and cut it out, it looks like a ravioli. And then I would put it on top of the fish because the former place I were at Pauschen was created by Jan Utzon and he, his biggest piece, one of the biggest pieces was Sydney Opera House. And he was a regular every week for almost seven years when he was in the country. And he always complained, why have you never created a dish for me? And then sadly he left this earth and uh, when we opened the Geist, I, I thought, why not put these raviolis on top of the fish so it looks like Sydney Opera House? But that has nothing to do with the taste. It's just for me. People don't need to understand it. That's a personal thing for me. So it makes it interesting for me. For normal guests, it's just the best fried turpid with thin raviolis with fennel on top and then a yogurt sauce. That's all. Yeah, no, that's yeah. I, I I get it, and that's the that's wasabi cool. dessert you talked about mm -hmm. began with we talked about um, what's one of the best sweets we liked at Geist, and we came up with uh, not came up we came to the conclusion that uh, we all love cream toffee, and then we thought why not just break it down a bit, so at the end of the day the flavor that would stick in your mouth would be a cream toffee. And then we knew that if you take soy sauce and, and put it inside uh, white sugar, it, you can create a caramel without ever have done a caramelization, any cooking, actually fondant. And um, we thought it was funny. So we did a milk sheet, uh, a reduced milk ice cream, and then layered it. And we called it soya cream toffee. And no one ordered it. <laughs> no one. And you can't even taste the soya. I mean, when you know it, mm -hmm. you can. And then um, I thought I couldn't understand it because I thought it was the most delicious. Like, wow. Not even technical, weird. It was just like, wow. And, and, and then one night I just changed it to salted cream toffee. And then it, and then it became a blockbuster. And we couldn't keep up. And when we couldn't keep up, I, I thought of, like, and chefs would say to me, why have you something that's so ordinary and simple on your menu? And I was like, damn, damn. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it got me, what could be an addition to this dessert? And I realized it, it was heavy and, and as a caramel should be. So I thought, uh, what if I could bring in some lightness? And I saw one of these commercials where you eat a, a mint uh, candy where you, and then you add Greenland. And then I realized, <laughs> okay, we have the soya, so why not take wasabi and put it inside and make an, another layer of uh, whipped cream with wasabi. So you have a frozen ice cream. And then we added that on top of it. And then it went completely down again. No one took it. <laughs> but then like finally, uh, we had all the waiters eat it. And all of a sudden, they were on board and sort of like, okay, we get it. Mm -hmm. And it's not about uh, how we came about it or ended up there. It's just a damn delicious dessert. No, but hearing that backstory yeah. is fascinating. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. And there was also the fun element of cotton candy that came out. As like a showstopper at the end. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. 
almost forgot no, but, about that moment. But you know, the the cotton candy is because uh, when you have been to so many meals as I have, and you probably have eaten much more than I have. No, uh, I, I think but, we're, but, we're probably and, even. And, and, but <laughs> it's always a surprise with the coffee. Yeah, it's always a surprise, always. And you're like, uh, if you if you don't serve anything for the coffee or the tea. Then it feels cheeky and a little bit like, ah, is that all? So, but you want something, but you don't want something. And then, uh, after being in Tivoli and seeing the cotton candy that uh, we we have, I thought it's the perfect yeah uh, showstopper at the end. Yeah. Do you say so, showstopper? I, no. I yeah, that's what I did say. Yeah. Showstopper. And and, and, and 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 then you know you, you get the drama, you get an element, and then. Most of the time, people sit and make fun of it. They make weird cotton candy beards or wigs and take photos. We even, even at one time we had a competition who could take the best cotton candy picture, and they won a, a dinner there. Yeah. It, it was amazing. It was it was it was a surprise, and yeah. I, I liked that as I, I it was it was a surprise to me and delightful. Yeah. So before we take a break, let's talk a bit about this book that you wrote. What does memory taste like? Yes. So, talk. What, what does it taste like for you? Oh, it tastes like lots of. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I, that's a tricky question. I haven't. I need. I need a. Uh, yeah. What okay. does memory taste like? Okay. Tastes like a, a whole smorgasbord is what I'd say <laughs> of of my whole. You know, I yeah. don't think it's one. It's one thing. I think it's so many different. Flavors and yeah. memories. So, so when when uh, when I moved here uh, in 2015, um, I actually managed to uh, get a book deal about uh, because I decided to drive around for six months in America, so I could understand uh, sort of a quick ABC to uh, when you say pork, where's the best pork? Where's the best carrot? Where do you get the best dairy products? Where do you what style of restaurants are, is it? All of these things. And then uh, a publisher wanted to do a book about that. And uh, I bought a camera and started taking pictures. And then on this journey, fantastic journey, I realized it would be weird. Why didn't I do a book about Geist? And then I started taking pictures for that. And then while I was shooting pictures for Geist book, I was uh, sort of like, how weird. The first restaurant I did I was there for eight years. Weird that I never did a book. And and uh, the food felt even more relevant today than it was back then. And then I thought, why not do something that you never do? And that's the angle of having a sort of like a retrospective view of not this is what is going to happen. This is what actually did happen. So it, it's a book with... Uh, uh, around 45 uh, food uh, recipes, pictures, and um, a huge dedication to the first dish I feel I sort of found myself, which is wafers of uh, avocado with caviar and almond oil. And uh, then there's a lot of comments and stories from the staff that work there that talked about how it was for them to work there and guests and chefs and friends. Brilliant book. A brilliant book. I need to get my hands on a copy. Yeah. <laughs> Chefbobeck.com. Okay. Good, good plug there. 
And on that note, let's take another break and then we're going to come back and we're going to play my speed round game and talk some industry news. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. Think about what it takes to swim a coastline longer than the entire eastern seaboard and leap tall waterfalls in a single bound. What does it take to survive 200 feet deep in icy saltwater? What would you be made of? Wild Alaska seafood is made of tight muscle mass, long-chain omega-3s, and incredible micronutrients. It matters where your food comes from. Experience the flavor of the fittest in every bite and enjoy food the way nature intended. Alaska seafood, wild, natural, and sustainable. Ask for Alaska on the menu, grocery store, or smart device. For more information, visit wildalaskaseafood.com. Welcome back to Only Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Bo Beck. It's time for my speed round game. Are you ready? Fire. <laughs> okay. I'm not even going to give you any prep. I'm just going to fire. Here we go. Eat in or eat out? In. But I eat out the most. Okay. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? What is mocktail? A, a drink that doesn't have alcohol in it, but is fancier than water. <laughs> I would drink what's appropriate for the situation. Okay. But what I drink the most is mm. wine. Besides red, water. Red or white? Uh, orange. Ah, I, knew you'd, I knew you'd have a great answer for that. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Um, enough. How about communal table or chef's counter? Both. Why should you choose? But chef's counter is always fun. Okay. Why should you choose? This is a game. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Old Noma or new Noma? Always the current. So the new normal. I'm assuming you've been. Yeah, I have. It was marvelous. I have to. I haven't to get back to Copenhagen. Another reason. Another reason. Okay, how about, there's a few more. Biking or Ubering or any other type of transportation? Biking. Yeah, biking. Biking, biking in your town is fantastic. But I have to say, in this town, you have to figure out what side you bike in. What line, you got to get and create people, a lane. Yeah, we're and people need to just respect the bike lanes and yeah, the bikers yeah, and we're yeah. not we're not there yet. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it, but I do like I do I do bike a bit in, in the city, but I really enjoyed biking a lot in in your city. this city, NYC. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Copenhagen? Copenhagen. Voila, that's the game. You win uh, a um, a conversation in industry news now. <laughs> I know. I need better prizes. Okay, so two articles I picked out. First, and they're both in Bloomberg Pursuits. It just so happens. One of them, why the color black continues to rule the food world. And uh, the this is by Kate Crater, and it's saying, thank God. Think ever, an ever-increasing taste for bitterness and, of course, Instagram. So she's talking about how black 
colored food, black ice cream, squidding pasta, everything is is still is very popular. It's not dying down. Do you do you see this as well? Do you do you think this is true? Do you how do you feel about black colored food? I mean, as long as food tastes good, then I love it. I I, I hate uh, I hate uh, I love Kate by the way, so it's not anything towards her. But I hate this that people that write about food have uh, they need to talk about tendencies and trends. I I do get it, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a good thing that the, someone is writing and talking about food because. We got to remember the thing about food is that it gets eaten. So the proof disappears. So unless we do it again tomorrow, it's gone. Uh, privately, I think uh, an organic approach, uh, sort of where the truth is easier to remember than the lie approach, is a much bigger uh, success at the moment. I'm trying to take that in. That's kind of deep. <laughs> I don't know if it's deep, but isn't there something like, you know? I, I, I mean, what you want to do when you visit a restaurant, you want to feel that the restaurant you're visiting wants you to come. You want to feel embraced. Mm-hmm. I get you that. Wa- you want to feel an energy of. We've been cooking our ass off all day. Oops, can you say that? Yes. Yeah. You've, we've been cooking our ass off all day. Like, you know, we, we, we're excited for you to be here. And that could even be at Roberta's where we're sitting now. Like, it doesn't matter. It's a human aspect. Mm-hmm. And if you, when you arrive to a restaurant, cafe or whatever you are, or a home-cooked meal, if you sense that the people that are doing this for you, they really loved it, then it doesn't matter how it was. Yeah. Okay, true. Back to the, I mean, with the, with, with just my... The color. <laughs> well, no, my, my point, something I wanted to say about the color was I was in, um, I was in Thailand a couple of years ago, over a little over two years ago, and I started seeing charcoal on, on lots of menus there. And I, I, I said, you know, they always come out at the beginning of the year of all these, what's the next trend and what are we going to see? And I'm like, we're going to see charcoal. And it has happened in New York City. There's there's the oh, charcoal totally. lots Fire's of, alive. There's lots of charcoal everywhere. Yeah. And and uh, and I've also I've been to Morgan Stearns, which I love their ice cream place. If you, I don't know if you've but ever been to Morgan interrupting, Stearns. But, yeah. but fire is not a, it might be a trend, but it's been around forever. It has been. But for tons of decades, we sort of fucked it up a bit because we introduced stoves and all of these things and we forgot about the flavor that it gives. Yeah. The immediate flavor that it gives. And if you take a tomato, whatever you put on a proper grill, <laughs> there's nothing that could beat it. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, but you and but we didn't. I never saw it on charcoal 
lattes on, on menus before, <laughs> uh, like this uh, a year or two ago. Yeah. And the, yeah, and the Morgan Stearns, I was just going to say, he had a, a charcoal, uh, this black ice cream that if you ate it, then your tongue became black. And, you know, it was like, but, and uh, it's very popular. It's uh, like, it's a cool A really thing. good friend of mine uh, told me a couple of days ago, we were talking about uh, relationships and commitments and, and, of course, about food as well. And uh, he said, you know, you know this feeling about the grass is always greener on the other side? Mm-hmm. This sort of almost like FOMO, sort of f- fear of missing out, kind of. But the reality is the grass will always be greenest where you water it. I like that. Always. <laughs> and if you have a restaurant, mm-hmm. and if you just put your heart in it, and you accept that it's damn hard work, if you're a jewelry smith, like, a, how do you say jewelry? Uh, maker. Maker. If you work your ass off every day, you become really good. Or at least you have a chance to be good. Yeah. But it takes a lot of work because it's hands. It's hands. It's not a computer yet, but it's not. It's emotions. And that's what we, we love when we go out. We want that personal feeling right okay so are you still here i'm still here <laughs> um i mean we're we're a little short on time but i'll mention the other article okay. uh also bloomberg pursuits the title coffee shops are already running out of america's newest milk craze and so this is talking about oat milk which is being favored by baristas because they're saying it makes better latte art and this is plant milks um, they're stealing the market apparently from dairy products, and what? what do you guys? Are you guys doing oat milk over in in Denmark? Um, I haven't tried it yet, and I, I haven't, haven't either. Uh, probably there are someone doing it. Um, I mean, if it's for the right reasons and and the flavor is good, why not? Yeah, why, why not? Wh- I'm why I'm open not? for trying it. Why not? And, why not? And seeing. Do and I like milk from a cow? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, the, I, I've I've heard someone. I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and they said uh, fika here. Uh, apparently, they've seen that them advertising that they have it, and I do go there some sometimes. So I'm going to be on the lookout, <laughs> check it out, report back how I do my feelings on oat milk. I typically put skim milk in my coffee, which is or drink skim milk because I grew up with that, and I figure save a few calories <laughs> there. But um, yeah, maybe I'll become an oat milk drinker and on that note we're gonna take one more break come back do my solo dining experience have the final question so stay with us this is all in the industry on heritage radio network
And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. I'm doing a flashback in honor of my guest. I'm not talking about his restaurant because I already have, but I am talking about Conditori La Glace. Am I saying it right? I have no idea what you're saying. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see if you become familiar as I give the rundown. Here we go. The location. I'm going to butcher this. Skobagad 3115 Copenhagen, Denmark. The concept, the oldest confectionery in Denmark, known uh, for its delicious and quality products made from the best ingredients. Is this ringing a bell? A place where tourists go. <laughs> I'm a tourist. I was in Denmark, and the confectioner is Nicholas Henningsen. And why did I go? Because my pastry, my friend, pastry chef Pichet Ong, who's a very known pastry chef in the U.S., he told me it was a must-visit and a cake haven. And he's a cake guy. So that's how I found out about this did place. Did you like it? So my experience, yes. I, but I, then it's I, fantastic for I, you. I, so I bicycled there. I went in. Um, there was a lot to choose from. I, I wasn't sure what to get, but everything looked great. And I ordered, and then I sat outside, lovely little side street. And this this um, this confectionery, it was in old Copenhagen and opened in 1870, from what I read. So what did I get? So it was morning. It was my breakfast. I had coffee and cake. Uh, I had the sports cage or was sports cake, which consists of crushed nougat, whipped cream. A macaroon bottom and a caramelized choux pastry, and then I had coffee, which came in this like high tea sort of teapot setting. And uh, I really, yeah, my take, I really enjoyed it. It was it was an indulgence. I feel I should have cake for breakfast more often. Uh, say it's a breakfast of champions for sure. Uh, the ambiance, so the dining room is kind of old school, spacious, elegant. And then outside I was sitting uh, on a, on one of the streets of Copenhagen, Copenhagen, which was really lovely. And I'd say it's perfect for anyone who appreciates the finer things in life, and including sweets. Interesting tidbit. Conditori has been around for six generations. Its sports cake was created for the first time for a theater production for Sportsman, which premiered in 1891 at a theater that I'm not going to be able to pronounce, so I'm going to skip it. Personal fun fact. On a trip to D.C. recently, P. Sheong, who's now the pastry chef at Brothers and Sisters at the Line Hotel, he has made a cake, and he's calling it the Copenhagen, and he'll say in his own words that it's a ripoff of the cake from this this place I went to in Copenhagen, and his cake he's doing in D.C. is, uh, the words I used were ethereal. It was like, mind-blowingly delicious, like one of the best cakes I've ever had. So I, I think the cost of my cake and coffee was something around $16 US. And would I go back? Yes, I would. And their website's laglace.dk. So I was in a tourist trap, according to you. But hey, as you listen. said, as long as I enjoyed it, no, but fantastic. When, when you arrived in Manhattan the first time in your life, uh, you want to go to Empire State Building, you want to go to the Guggenheim, you mm -hmm. want to go... Uh, I mean, you do those things. True. But yes. when you're in your own country... You don't. You don't. You see the city. Mm -hmm. You use the city in a completely different way. And and it, the same thing happened for me here as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is true. Yeah. 
Well, I I I really did enjoy going to this place, and, and it that's was, the it most was, important thing. It was thing. lovely. It doesn't matter whatever anyone tells you. If you loved it, then you loved it. Yeah, <laughs> it was the whole experience too. I mean, my whole time in Copenhagen biking. But around I think you're a rom- romantic type. Am I? Yeah. You sort of refer to the H.C. Anderson story, the whole, like, it's from the 18th century stuff. And it's okay. Yeah, it is okay. I'm okay being a romantic. (laughs) Okay, it's time for the final question. So my next guests are Nick Lovanos and his two sons, Johnny and Enrico of Lovanos Restaurant Group. They're based here in New York City, and they have a bunch of restaurants, including Molivos, Oceana, Usia, and Oceana Poke. Um, they've been they've been in business for a long time, a uh, family business since 1957. So, Bo, what would you like to ask Nick and his two sons? Ooh. It could be anything. It could be anything. Um, where should I go and have the best pizza? Okay. In New York. Okay, I'll find out. Thank you. You're welcome. You have to remember to tell me then. I will. Okay. But I, you might, you might be gone then but, but you're gonna be back. back right of course i am you come to new york often very often cool yeah good to know thank you well that's thank you for having me thank you for coming on this was <laughs> this was a this was amazing good. i i mean i'm so glad this worked out i'm so glad i met you i need, need to give a shit at, shout out to to Ignacio Matos mm. and Rita Jamey, who we were all together at Frenchette and mm. ran into each other, and that's how this serendipitous thing came about. So totally, yeah, yeah. And congratulations on your whole career. I mean, I, I obviously, as as someone who travels for restaurants, somehow your Geist ended up on my radar, and uh, I got there, and I had a lovely, wonderful experience, and I hope to come back. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And remember, next time you come to Copenhagen, to come again to Geist. Yes, I will. Don't forget. I know, I know exactly how to get there. I know, and I, I want to try more of the menu. Good. Okay, so my guest today has been Bo Beck. He's the chef and owner of Geist in Copenhagen, Denmark. His website's chefbobeck.com and restaurantgeist.dk. And you can follow him on Instagram at Bo Beck. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. As a reminder, all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my guest, Bo, and thanks to my engineer, Vitor. We are off here on spring break for Heritage Radio for the next two weeks. So my next show is going to be May 9th. Again, at 4 p.m. as usual, and I hope you'll tune in then. All right, that's it. I'm Sherry Bayer. Thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.